welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? Ooh, welcome yeah. to a new year of Three Wise DMs. That is and the you... first time I have ever repeated a song on the yes. podcast. But I feel like it's an appropriate one, because what else should you sing for a new year other than a song that none of us know what the fuck that guy is talking about? <laughs> well, we all know that first verse. <laughs> You took the time to learn the words to the song. You should be able to use it more than once. I'm okay right, with that. Yeah. No one else knows the words "old Lang Syne." <laughs> no, most people don't even know it's "old Lang Syne." Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it is a very appropriate song, though, from our rock and roll DM, DM Dave. A very appropriate song for our first episode of the new year. You know, guys, we're looking at a new year of gaming, a new year of podcasting, a new year of articles. But first, let's take a look back. Because this episode, we're going to spend looking back on 2021, our memorable moments, our biggest disappointments, and overall, what we learned that we think can help you be a better DM in 2022 and beyond. So, guys, what do you think? How did 2020? How do you think 2021 went for us as a gaming year? Oh, it's definitely a very strong year in gaming. I mean, my God, I've got currently, we got six, almost seven campaigns open simultaneously. If we kick off the 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 Tomb of Horrors, excuse me, not the Tomb of Horrors, Tomb of Annihilation, because Tomb of Horrors <laughs> is just too DG-13, it's Annihilation. <laughs> I still say Annihilation is worse than Horrors. I, you know, I'm just going to say in terms of like, you know, Tomb of Horrors, oh, I'm scared, it's going to be terrible. Tomb of Annihilation means I'm dead. I'm annihilated. Isn't right? horror, doesn't horror technically mean the realization that you're going to die and you can't stop it? Well, I mean, that's a very existentialist kind of thing. I mean, sure, <laughs> in certain circles, but, you know, I mean, Albert Camus over, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, it depends on how deep into the horror you want to dip. I don't know. I don't, I can't see Chris dipping that deep into the horror. No, no, no. My God, we just talked, we just wrapped it all up, the postmortem on Strahd. He is now experiencing what it means to really run a real D&D game because you have a bunch of people bringing their bullshit half-cocked character ideas to you into your serious, lich-dominated, soul-cursed, whatever land of Chult, right? Like, he's experiencing that same thing right now when we're bringing a gif and a boom goblin and a subtitled monk. I will have you know, Bixie the Boom Goblin is always fully cocked. He does not have the safety standards to leave anything half cocked so it won't go off accidentally. Oh, that's it, yeah. Or it needs to go off accidentally. That's whole, That's the whole point. Anyway. We're so sure. long as it goes boom, that's the important thing. So long as something goes boom bounce. and catches fire. But yeah, it's been a hell of a year, though. And equal to, if not more so, than our last year, which was an intensive year of gaming because... We were stuck inside a lot more, right? 
Well, I mean, last year in 2020, we actually, I mean, we only got the really intensive gaming going for about half of it. We had some games well, coming in the true, beginning of the yeah. year, but really 2020 is where we ramped up. But 2021 has been our first full year yeah. of three wise DMs and the three wise DMs play schedule. And for those you know, for those of you listening at home, one of a part of our philosophy here at Three Wise DMs is you got to play to talk about it. So we really, when we put this together, made a point of saying, everyone who's going to be on has got to be DMing actively. We're running games. We're playing games. We're all playing in each other's games because you have to have that to feed what we do here. At least that's that's the foundation of, of what we do. You know, First, we play. Then we talk about how we played and how it went and how we could have played it better. But playing is the heart of what we do. And that's why we're talking about having these seven campaigns. You know, if anything, I almost feel like we can't let go of campaigns. Yeah. Like we, we, we've wrapped up. The only one we've actually wrapped up is Storm King's Thunder. And part of that was two of the players are kind of like dropping dropped out of it after we completed the campaign. Otherwise, that might business. still be going on. Yeah. Tony would have kept that. I, I feel like Tony would have kept that going until level 20 at least. Well, don't worry. I've kind of been kicking around in my head. I think uh, your Ravenloft campaign could be the level 20 game. And then perhaps even we could break, crack open the book of those homebrewed post 20 rules i've been playing with (laughs) (laughs) let's let's see if we could get to uh to to get one of our 5e games to run all the way to uh to the legendary level 20 that's uh let's see that first so if you introduce epic level role-playing for for fifth edition tony will that include a path to godhood positively absolutely oh no i gotta have that I, i would really hate to spoil this in its uh test uh beta stages here but i would say beyond level 20 is the literal um path to godhood where it was looked at kind of like in the basic dnd the immortals rules mm. well you're trying to exceed level 20 well what are you you're obviously starting you're transitioning your point your place in the world from a truly great legendary hero but now you're kind of coming in at the doorstep of immortality so where you were the greatest hero in forgotten realms now you're the guy who gets some other kind of fear okay so you, you restart so you, at level one at level 21 you become, not exactly. you become like you become like a god squire when you hit level 21 that see here's the thing the, the way they handled that in basic D, you still were cosmically powerful but they introduced a whole new dynamic that you, you've crossed the threshold. So, yes, you're a truly great hero on Earth, but it's kind of like you just moved into a whole new weight class. Well, didn't didn't AD&D have the thing where in order to become a god, you had to, like, reach level 20 in, like, three different classes or something or in every class or something like that? In basic D&D, you had to hit level 30 or even level 36, excuse me. And at that point, you could become a, air quotes, beginning immortal. And then you just took all that other stuff you had and scrapped it because it was nonsense and gave you something new i wouldn't do that per se i'd still be building off of the 5e structure but some things have to be different for example i'd I'd change how strength works to an extent i mean this plus one plus one for two points this doesn't work for me (laughs) it would it'd be interesting i mean because every edition has had some level of epic level play so things that go beyond 20 at least 
yeah. least in supplemental things, except 5e. But I would I'm interested to see if we get to this point and we decide to go into this insane asylum of Tony's mind, if it would if the bounded accuracy design of 5e would would start to break down, you know, would so the so the way in which the 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 play style in which you had played up through 20 levels would start to completely shift or change. I'd, I'd be interested to would, see that. It would have to. I mean, it, otherwise, what's going, going beyond level 20, right? I mean, right, you would have, right. But then, like, in the sense of, like, how does that work, like, in even basic mechanics of rolling a D20, and then what? I add 20 to it. So, I, you know, everything has to be above 40. I don't know. It's just. I, I, I'm very sensitive and understand to why bounded accuracy was so important from playing in second edition. When I had a fighter who would roll a three and hit like Mephistopheles while he was using a plus five shield, I get it. <laughs> we want to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Had, interesting. Yeah. Could be, I could am be interested in this idea. It's the, the tricky thing is, okay, so you hit the top. Are you better off playing that character through level 30 or playing a new character and seeing a new side of D&D? And there you go. And That's that the hard decision whenever you too. talk about this. Yeah, yeah that was going to be my follow-up, too. You know, because uh, Thorne, you said this in a couple episodes ago. Um, there's so many players and characters that you not players, so many characters you want to try out, so many classes, so many different builds, different ideas that it's kind of awesome. The idea of going all the way and, and fulfilling the whole campaign. But then there's also like, OK, yeah, but like we can now make room for something else, you know, like when storm Kings broke down at a, you know, mid tier, right. We were level 12 at the end. Yeah. We leveled after the, when the, when we finished the, the, the adventure, we leveled to 12 and we can always return to those characters, which would be interesting. But that, that also did open up room for us to start like call of Cthulhu, right. It started to open up things so we could start playing around with the Marvel system and things like that. So, Yo, there's only so much playtime available, right? And where do you Unfortunately. invest? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, I keep trying to push against that, but it does seem like we've only got so much playtime available. <laughs> you know, it's and we play. I mean, we play once a week. Weekly, we play weekly yeah. every week. You know, we're just we're rotating out four or five regular games, and then every now and then some one-off somewhere, or we we shove another one in there somehow. You know? Occasionally, we play some board games. We're on a rare it's, occasion these days. Oh, so rare. So rare. Our gaming society is in shambles. Oh, uh, we got to get some more board games going. Just just to cleanse the palate a little more. A little mm-hmm. more Cthulhu War. A little more Dune. Especially, but, you know, Christmas has happened, you know. There's going to be there's gonna be board games out there that people now are in possession of. I actually have a board games I got last Christmas that I have not been able to play yet. <laughs> Firefly, the Blue Sun expansion, I have not been able to try yet. I've been trying all year. And we get together. We have, we've gotten together a few times, and it's something else winds up on the table. Sure. Or But, like, there's literally games I got for Christmas last year that I still have oh, not man. played. That so, yes, sad, I would definitely like to play some more board games. That's that. sad. That's just very – it makes me very sad. <sighs> you know <laughs> – Mal and company hanging out there with the Reavers, and we're not there to pilot them. It's just a shame. You know, it's interesting, because I think this is one of our big learnings from 2020, is, you know, what do you do? And we have a lot of players, I've found, who aren't interested in another character or ending their character. They're attached to their character. Yeah. There's players in Woodstock Wanderers who I've offered the chance to play in other games and stuff. Like, nope, nope, I don't want to learn another character. That's not... Well, it's not that I don't want to. I don't think I could learn another character. This is my character. And they just want to play that character forever. 
And I'm like, you know, come on. Like, like for me, I'm like, you know, okay, let me try another character now. I'm bored. I'm playing these, I've been playing these five dudes for six months. I got to put something else in here. I'm getting <laughs> bored with what these dudes do. You know, it's, it's, it's really is a tough decision because I feel like about half the players would rather just see their favorite characters play forever than try new stuff. I mean, do you guys get that vibe? Well, one of the interesting dynamics of 5e is that when you're making a character, you look at this, you know, the whole structure, and then you lovingly gaze at level 14 and go, wow, when I get to this level, then this occurs, and then I can start building towards this. Like, I'm in my back nine of this character. Like, I'm really in the, the, the Paragon area. Or, like, maybe at level 11, that's what I'm banking on. And that's so far away. Like, when you make a character, I'm, like, looking at, like, for my monk for uh, Tomb of Annihilation. I'm like, wow, he gets that really amazing power level 14. And I'm like, when's that going to happen? 2024? Honestly, when I'm making characters, because, I mean, because we haven't had anyone hit 14 yet, I don't even look at the high level powers. I tend to make them based on what are their what are their powers up to level 10, because yeah. that's what you're going to be playing with. That's that's what's going to make them fun or not. And the rest of it's just gravy at the end. Right. Like I unless we're going to do a level 21 shot, which is a different thing entirely, then I'm going to look at that. But all the characters I've built, I've built because kind of that initial really the initial character, that character you have through levels one through five seemed fun. And I'm playing him out after that and seeing what I get and what I don't get. But I'm actually not picking anyone based on the level 20 character. I don't even know what I get at level 24. Okay, I know that the Warlock gets the thing where he can spend basically one minute to get back all of his spell slots, which isn't really that big a deal. Although it would have come in handy against Strahd, so scratch it. Maybe that would be a big deal in the way our dynamics have worked out. I don't know what the Artificer gets at level 20. I don't know what Zhang, the uh, the the, the uh, warlord, got would have gotten at level twenty. The, the war master is um, Yeah, which is cool, but it, it, do you get that as a war master? You're still a fighter, sure. The fighter gets that. Yeah. I don't know. What, I don't even know what the top level, what the top level uh, battle master uh, bonus is. Like what the last thing is you get from that path. Yeah, I agree with you, Thor. I I, I mean, I've looked at some things just when you happen to be flipping through, and it's fun to look at it, but. When I'm building a character in the same way and I start playing them out, I'm kind of approaching it a lot of the ways I'm approaching if I'm setting up for the game, if I'm running the game, where I'm planning for the next session. So I'm kind of planning for the next level. And then you just kind of, we play that out until wherever. So, you know, I and I agree with you too. There are certain characters, like my girlfriend's character, that will never go away. <laughs> you know, and doesn't want to. And yeah. there is there's something to be said about that, because that's the type of thing you said long time back that going to level 20 takes a certain kind of stubborn. Right. You have to really be <laughs> like, nope, we're going to do this. Right. We're now strap it on, guys. We're doing this. And one of the ways in which you do that is if you have a character that you love. Right. When I read these stories about these guys that have run a game, the same game with the same group, same characters for 32 years, that's because they love those characters. You yeah. know, the, the game helps to feed that story. And that's awesome. But that's very that's a very specialized, unique uh, experience, I think. I say, I can't imagine doing it. I can't I mean, imagine wanting to run the same characters for 32 years. It I sounds really romantically be... awesome. But at that same point, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's like, I was it's like playing whoever. No, no. It's like the Muhammad Ali quote. You know, the man who's the same, he's the same character at 20 as he is at 40, has wasted 20 years of his life. You know, that's how I feel about it. 
no, no, I can't. I cannot possibly imagine. What, but the problem is there. What are you doing at that point? That, that's why, like, if we're, te- we're like, I'm teasing and I'm floating all these ideas of what you would do below, down below 20. Some type of in-game rewards need to be happening. So, like, like advanced combat and tactics, like, were available in second edition. Those would need to be introduced at that point. Things of the game world, I'm sure, would be in play more so. But, you know, you hit a, a, a level where I can't imagine that you really have anything to do after that much time. You get to hit a level 20 character, you just play that character. I get that. You don't have five games, six games, seven games running. We got one campaign, and we play that every week. And yes, we have level 20 characters, but... Several times over. <laughs> yeah, several times over. But I, I mean, my God, he, I mean, my longest characters that we beat to death were three, like Astos was three and a half years. Rothgar was about three, three and a half years. Yeah. And at that point, really, either one of, I mean, Astos was destroyed because of DM. He was destroyed by a, a, a high concentrated blast of bullshitium. And then. Um, <laughs> we're returning will to never, that. never, ever be forgotten. Yeah, whoever the DM who did that, no, Tony still takes it personally. Yeah. And uh, Rothgar basically put himself out the pasture because his grand, his great grandkids could field any problem that may have been disturbance in his multiverse. So <laughs> he firmly glued his ass in front of the on a sofa in front of a TV, and that was his uh, end game, Li- quite literally. In a similar fashion, too, uh, because for me, one of the biggest things that I really loved about this past year was finishing out my first book one book five book adventure from start to finish you know through yeah. strata like we we started two. we finished out the whole thing yeah. i mean right? you did one and we go and we all got to play another one so i mean and really did two yeah absolutely but that's the first time i ever ran a 5e book all the way through and it was awesome and as i've said before i would love to run more of those adventures and one of the things that kind of precludes it, and I see a lot of this when people post about it because it, it starts to become a problem because they love the characters and they want to keep this group going to level 20 or whatever, but they want to play the other adventures. And the adventures are generally for that first half. And then you're kind of left to whatever devices you want to do. You want to continue or you want to start. So if you want to start another book adventure, you have to like literally just rewrite the entire thing for 12th level characters now. So like, what's the point, right? Well, that's interesting because that's not the way they used to do it. In the beginning right. of 5e, you had like the Tiamat run where you went through, they well, the had t- three le- three different books that took yeah. you entirely from Cold of the Dragon up yep. through actually fighting Tiamat over the course of 20 levels. And they don't do that anymore, I guess, because they figured most of the plays being done up to level 10. They Yeah, they found that most people, most groups stop at around level nine, level nine, 10. And... People weren't wanting those big giant adventures the whole time. Pathfinder does a lot of that. They will release their their adventure paths, which will take you level one yeah. all the way to twenty. You know, and it's they're so, fifty books long. You know? It's so weird to me though that Watchy would come up with the conclusion that our players don't want that when all these other players do. Huh. I mean, isn't maybe don't you have to consider there that maybe the problem is your level twenty adventure wasn't good enough? possible like i think if you have a great adventure if you have like a throne of bloodstone or something your players will go through to level 20 and they'll love it you know i mean i don't really get why why fifth edition isn't really doing that 
Tony well, looks disgusted right now. He needs uh, to say something. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that stings me deeply inside my black soul. Um, but as a, when you're a high-level character in, like, the Throne of Bloodstone, yes, you are really a bomb. You're a hero. You're, like, that Lancelot, Arthur-level character. You're a Merlin-level character. But even still, you had room to grow. That's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I like the Marvel system, because you could get phenomenal cosmic power, and, oh, well... Am I the toughest guy in the block? Well, you're tough, sure, but people can stop you. There's still there's still things that can be put in your way on a semi regular basis that can give you things to hit with this new power to make it interesting. When you're yes, we all saw what if. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would have capped it exactly at twenty because traditionally, like in uh, second edition and fourth, you go up to thirty. I I do see the, the structure. I thought Tui went to 20 and then you got to 30 through the high level playbook. No, there was really no, unless you're playing certain. I, I don't even think there was any. Okay. If you were no, not, I'm, I'm pretty you're sure. Still vulnerable to caps, but. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure the player's handbook in Tui caps at 20, but then they released the Epic, the, the, the Epic Adventures book for high level play that I think went to 30. I remember in first edition, there were DM screens where there were charts that like the wizard went straight to 29. Yeah, no, no, first edition had that. I think second edition, I think capped at 20. God, I wish I had that on my player's hand. But, I mean, think, but think about it with like, what we've experienced, right? Storm Kings, Curse of Strahd, and these ones. You kind of run that adventure, and it's built as that, this kind of complete adventure path, in a way, up to that point. Do you really want to stick around to in that road? Like, imagine, like, Barovia, right? I mean, unless they open it up to the you know the domains well, of dread, but then how does Strahd become really the big bad for that whole time? Well, I mean, in the second edition one, Strahd was still the big bad, but you're right, you can't lead with him. Like you can't like you can't kill Strahd at level ten and consider him the big bad of all of Ravenloft <laughs> of the entire dummy plane. No, you can't do it that way. In the second edition one, Strahd was still the grand master of the plane. Like hmm. he was still, he, everyone had mastery over their own plane, but Strahd, Strahd was like, he was the first one in and he kind of, he had extra, he had extra juice basically. But you know, I think you want to stick around if it's a good story, right? I mean, you, well, come on. I'm not the story DM here. You guys are the story DMs. You're telling me a good story. Would it make you want to play that character to 20? No, not at all. And that's what I think we're seeing right now. Hopefully we'll see with where we go with the Curse of Strahd group that will be renamed because it is no longer the Curse of Strahd group. It's now whoever. The bane of Strahd's bane. Which none of the listeners can see, but that's why I have all the question marks as my backdrop right now. We don't know where it's going. I know where it's going, or at least where I want to take it. Didn't I float Champions of the Mist? Was it Hero Hero, of the Mist? Heroes of the Mist, which I really dig. Yeah, but we'll see. I'm I'm more specific. I like Strahd's Bane. So for me, I like that too. For me, I I think we have a like we've said before, we have a pretty good group with the Strahd group. It's a it's an interesting mix, and we're gonna try. We're gonna see where it goes after this. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But at the same point, I also would have been okay if we said, okay, we completed a curse of Strahd, close the book. Okay, what do you guys want to run next? You know, it like Tomb Annihilation or something. I like I've said, I plan on running as many of these damn things as I can because I kind of really enjoyed the the process of it, you know? So I gotta say, I feel like that's a little anticlimactic though, where it's you defeat the big villain. Like if you had in Star King Thunder, you defeat Sarkoloth. It's like, yes, well, yeah, he he retreats, goes to the deep, 
Yeah. Pete Strahd, his castle collapses, Castlevania style. What do we want to do? We're going to start all over in a different universe. Like we die and we're reincarnated and I'm now a farmer's son. <sighs> you got to have bigger problems. There has to be, there has to be something. Yeah. I, I don't think you die and get reincarnated. I think you have to, I think it has to open the map. And now you're introduced to what are the other big problems going on and how do I actually break out of the plane? Yes. And at some point, obviously, we're going to have to go to the nine hells to rescue baby Walter. <laughs> uh, Thorne has brought it up before. It's the Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing. Strahd is the little bad in essence. He's halfway through the season. You hit this guy and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's. Well, and they're like, holy shit. No, we got like 12 more episodes left in the season. I would, you know? I would say Strahd's the master. Strahd's the big bad of season one. Now you go into season two, and you've got to find a bigger bad in another yeah, reason. They yeah. still want to keep fighting it. And yeah, one that connects to the to season one in certain ways to keep that story arc going. Yeah. I mean, Babala Saga was that was a little bad in Strahd. And there's a bunch of other things. Mm. The, the bone grinder, the, you know, the, the bone grinder hags were very satisfying to beat. But Strahd, yeah, he's that's the end of season one. We have one really good television season in the bag now. <laughs> okay, Buffy, who do you got to fight season two? Now Spike shows up. He turns everything on its head. You know, who's really the big bad? Yeah, now we get into that stuff. Yeah, and that's hopefully where we'll see. We'll see what you guys think. We'll I mean, I, I think, well, season two Buffy was when Angel went bad, right? To tell you the truth, I never actually watched enough I, I of the I believe that is correct. Dude, we have, we have them all. <laughs> you and Bonnie just got to start coming over every I'm night. Sure and we'll, Shannon sure. would love to marathon Buffy and Angel with you guys. <laughs> she does it back and forth so she can watch them in the actuals, actual order they ran. We're right now, we're, 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 we're rehashing Babylon 5 and oh. uh, Supernatural. We're going through both of those. At least the first five seasons of Supernatural. But we can make room for a Buffy marathon if you want to. We can do this. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Shannon at one point actually had made a Buffy. She was trying to make a Buffy Wikipedia site. That's how into it she was. All right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, kind of. It eventually petered out because you know, there's actual Wikipedia. So like, there's not really the need for one person to go <laughs> in and do all that on their own website. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, one of the things we we're going to talk about first, and, we, and I think I guided us into a different direction, but 2021, it's behind us, 12 months of gaming. We've talked about how it was our biggest year of gaming yet. What are your most memorable moments from gaming in 2021? I had a couple of very fun one-shots in, in mm. the Marvel game I rolled out. We I introduced, got to use the Grandmaster, the Tyrant, and even Santa Claus turned out to be uh, Mephisto. I mean, I, I really got to <laughs> dig into the toy chest of the vintage Marvel villains and, and bring them all out and uh, let, lay into the party. That was super fun. I will say, Tone, I think you also had a little bit of a, a premonition because the some of the rumor is that Marvel is moving towards revealing Mephisto as well as one of the big bads behind the MCU. So, you got, you know, you got it. You got it before they were able to. Uh, perhaps. I mean, Mephisto was always in the background pulling strings like Loki in, in different points. Yeah. And just Mephisto, yeah, he's a really formidable. When you deal with cosmic characters, I can't push the kingpin in front of you because as cool as he is in his own right, in his own tier, Detective Crack could blow up his whole boat in space. And yes. be that. Like, let's go arrest him. We don't have the evidence. What are you doing? I'm targeting his building. Is his building going to dodge? No. <laughs> well, he's dead. That was very unparagon, sir. Oh, well. Well, I hated that plot. That's exactly, actually, that's exactly what Technocrat would do. <laughs> he's got surprisingly good karma, considering how far he'd be willing to go to do something that would ruin his karma. Well, at least you didn't beat up any Carolins. 
That's what I'm yeah. saying here. Well, that was the other. That was the other guy. And yeah, Agma's not going to beat up Carol, Carolers. Agma is uh, a little special. He's he's socially extremely awkward and weirdly uh, weirdly strong at times. He, he's he's a weird character. Fun to play. <laughs> Likes to pull out cheeseburger. He likes to conjure, conjure cheeseburgers whenever he gets nervous. Here, have a cheeseburger. And then uh, going forward and starting a uh, solo game where I was teaching uh, my girlfriend uh, how to play was certainly one of the most memorable uh, experiences of not only this year, but I learned an extraordinary amount as a DM from teaching somebody who had positively next to no background in the fantasy universe in this realm, at least. I will second that, Tony, because I definitely was doing that with the Frost Maiden campaign as well, teaching brand, brand new people that have very little even concepts of fantasy, even the genre itself. So, like I said, uh, one of the biggest things was finishing out the full book adventure. That was really awesome. Uh, I learned a ton from it. Um, so, again, I want to run a bunch of them. One thing that I got, because last year we talked about how we wanted to start playing different systems. And we wanted to do that because we wanted to, one, play some different systems, but also so much that you learn from those systems that you can bring back to D&D. Because for I think for all of three of us and most of the people listening, D&D is always going to be like your home base. You're always going to kind of come back there. It just feels right. Um but, well, it's nice to be part of it. It's also it's a living game. You know, you I, I like that. Aspect. Yeah. There's other living games out there. We're just not playing any of them. Everything else we're playing is a dead game. Well, yeah. except for Call of Cthulhu, which is living, but a relatively small player base. I don't smaller, feel like there's as much juice going smaller on. Community. Yeah, smaller community. But one thing I did that we got from the Marvel game that we started to play, because at some point, Tony, myself, and Chris were all judging different games within this our own shared marvel universe right and i love the idea of the shared universe and i started to have such fun with it because then tony would start to play with like what i did with like our street level team in his one shots and it made me start to think about and we've teased this idea out before but i think i might want to play with it where the for our for in essence our forgotten realms or our sword coast games are starting to play in a shared universe. You know, I've I've literally thought about how could I introduce, you know, Elios and the Sky Mall, you know, could Roderick be over in Drago Manor and Neverwinter and somehow come into the plots somewhere? Who knows, right? But this idea of a shared universe uh, within the D&D world, our D&D worlds, uh, not Woodstock, sorry, Thorne, you're out. But that's <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, uh, my my old characters are D and D in this universe. Yeah, you're uh, you're, a, uh, you're a god uh, in this universe. You're part of the the Woodstock world is part of the multiverse. It, that's fine. You could be the in the Woodstock multiverse. world. Is, is that's that's mine. That's fine. Yeah, that's, that's in fine. our multiverse. But you're not part of. Yeah, you're not in this universe. But yeah. Uh, so I like that idea, and it's one of the things I started to see how it played, uh, playing amongst different DMs and hopefully trying to bring it into uh i'd love to try to bring it into the strad group as we go forward we'll see what happens with it where you guys go with what i have planned i, I feel an idea there where roderick could join as an npc in that campaign <laughs> we know it's one of Tony's favorite moves he is literally right now i mean he is right at the exact level right now so who this, knows? this yeah. is fate who knows I mean, you guys are still currently stuck in Barovia. So, you know, let's see where you guys head first. 
I yeah. mean, come on. Out of all the characters we have, Roderick is the one most likely to get his ass stuck in Barovia. <laughs> it would be true. I don't know. I would have to sit down and talk with Tony about where exactly, what is happening with Mr. Droggle because uh, the ring, that ring, I, I would need to either see the the book stuff about the ring or something to get a sense of what the fuck is going on in Neverwinter right now. Like, I feel like it's bad. <laughs> I feel like it's when, like, Saruman returned to the Shire. Like, it's... <laughs> I feel that in no way is it possible that if a D&D character retrieved the one ring and kept it, that he could get sucked into Ravenloft. That is completely preposterous. There's that would no never way. Happen. There's no That's way. That's the that only way happen. the universe would have to defend itself. <laughs> That's the only way the universe could defend itself. No, 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 no. I'm going to lock you up in a pocket dimension. You can't get out because you have the one ring. Roderick, throw the ring in the fire. No. God damn it! Yeah, but yeah, so the idea of the shared universe is something that is interests me, and we'll see. And now that Chris is also going to be running a team through Tomb, same thing. It's all Sword Coast stuff, so we could, in essence, play like we're all in somewhat of the same universe. Is is that in the Sword Coast? Functional well, somewhere it, else. Chult is, it's an island off of there, but it's all kind of in that same Forgotten Realms area, you know. Well, it's in, Most I mean, of the Forgotten, Forgotten Realms, Realms is are a actually forgotten, because there's only like one section that they ever play in. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I there's like a whole thing. world map. There's an O-Earth, isn't there? Isn't, isn't, well, is that the yeah. world that's O-Earth? No, uh, that's Greyhawk. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, Tor, I think it's Toril. I think Toril. Yeah, sounds, we have the whole yeah. realm to play with, and it's a, it, can be, it can be a multiverse. So long as we don't put a giant tentacle monster in the middle, it's going to crack it. Yeah. Well, I've said this, too. In some ways, I have a, a grand design that the world that I originally started to really build out of the Slaver's Bay game, in essence, I had an idea that I could place whatever game I run in whatever world in that world somewhere because it's big enough, right? And in some ways, I still like that idea, this grand design, but then the idea of additional DMs being a part of that, you know, and then how one shots might be able to tie into that, you know, and then we have our own Morden Canons and Elminsters and Melts <laughs> and all that, right? <laughs> and one day we're gonna have to we're gonna have to print the grand grimoire of all the all the magics that our characters made and you know all the all yeah. the unique monsters yeah. they fought, which hasn't been that many so far. It'd be fun to do that. It'd be fun to that's get in there and start really making it our own. Yeah, that's where it's heading. So I guess I mean for me, uh across twenty twenty one, what's been most memorable has been Completing a couple campaigns, honestly. Yeah, complete, definitely completing the Curse of Strahd and completing Storm King's Thunder and getting those characters to a point where they kind of go on to the next thing in their careers. That was really cool. And that doesn't, you know, I've had a lot more campaigns end in the middle than get to the end, which I think we all have. So it was really cool to go through that. And just to see also, you know, kind of how you guys kind of handled wrapping them up and handle the players throughout them. Yeah, I personally found the Amber Temple to be a lot of fun, even if maybe we spent one too many sessions in there. Uh, <laughs> Who knew? Shrod. Who knew? So we figured out that some people were like, can we please leave already? Why are we interviewing all of these things? Because <laughs> we're going to make some deals. Uh, I liked, uh, I loved getting the antimatter rifle in Storm King's Thunder and having that bit of alien technology for the final showdown. I thought that was a lot of fun. And just the games themselves were really cool. I like, uh, I've, I've also liked being able to make some new characters. You know, being able to make, you know, you know, Bixie the Boom Goblin and things like that. As far as the DM goes, the uh, Call of Cthulhu campaign 
mm. has been really interesting. We've never gone Call Cthulhu. We've never gone through multiple adventures of that. Now we're on the third adventure. We're probably coming up on at least our 12th session. Yeah, in part, in part because Red Letters has kind of has kind of slowed down a little bit. But I feel like the players are still super invested. I feel like interesting things happen every time we get together. Yeah, it's just the group feels like it's a lot of fun and like you guys are having fun in it. And yeah. it's a totally different style of play. You know, it feels like everyone's having fun investigating and playing their characters, even in a situation where we don't where we don't bring out the guns that often and half the time we do, they don't work. Yeah, Thor, I would say the um, that's a great example in Call of Cthulhu where the players are invested in their characters because yeah. you threw out the idea, which is very Call of Cthulhu-esque, that after I think the first adventure we ran, you said, hey, if you guys want to bring in somebody new uh, while you're off in your sanitarium, feel free, roll up a new investigator. And we were all like, no, we, we like these people. So it was a great idea of that investment. Yeah. Aside from mechanical aspect of things, the best way to keep the characters going in a game with the longevity is for them to maintain their energy and to be invested in both themselves and the plot. Yeah. That will have much, you'll get much more bang for your buck than, well, you're looking for this new ability. And that's cool. I would tease these things that they can do out there so they have those goals still. But there's no substitution. I mean, one of the coolest things about that game, you know, and it's I think it's a different way of making characters. No one came in with a build because early in Call of Cthulhu, there are no builds. Everyone <laughs> came in with a character concept and they build a character who they thought was an interesting character to play, whether that is, you know, Dr. Amy Cogswell. Cogswell, yes. You know, uh, the, the Princeton the Princeton man. We have a cat burglar who pretends to be a lawyer. We have uh, the Tony's Irish cop. We have... Stop. Scottish, Scottish, right? Totally out of place in, in in Boston. Yeah, it's that's why he's drummed out. Yeah, you're on the wrong you're on the wrong next, side of the sea, laddie. <laughs> next, you'll be calling him uh, English, and he'll shoot you for that as well. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Sure. You have Maude, who's playing the private detective who once shot a ghost and is a, a master of the skies. And yeah, we'll let you know about the ghost shooting at least once a session. At she always says, "I shot a ghost once." <laughs> if you ask her about it, you don't get a whole lot of details. You say, "I once shot a ghost." You know what? But that what's funny about that is Maud West is a real P.I. from back in England in like the yeah. 1800s. And one of the things on Wikipedia says about how she was at a seance and supposedly shot a ghost. And Bonnie's like, I'm going to use I'm using that. That's that's happening. So these are all, I mean, and we have uh, one of the other characters as a waitress who he plays to the, he plays with the whole, you know, what can I get you, honey? He just plays, he plays the character. And then she's got some interesting things going on in her background too. It's just, everyone brought a character they enjoy playing and they play the characters to the hilt. And that makes that game a lot of fun. We haven't had a D&D game quite like that. Although for me, at least, that did influence how I developed like Bixie the Boom Goblin. He's much more mm. character. He's a build, but he's a character too. Because that just seems like it's more fun to play. You know, if you're if you want to you want to be mechanically strong in D and D even, but the best characters are the ones where you have a character who is funny and fun to play and interesting in addition to their mechanics. And well, I guess that seems good. obvious, but I mean, I any novel, any movie, any TV series, right? Who are the best heroes or the best protagonists? Are the ones that they have some serious, either serious flaw if it's a drama, let's say, or if it's an action, they're kind of inept. Or they have some very striking points where they're not good at something that they really need to be, right? And that's where the character builds because because of that, because of their not perfectness, you know? In Call of Cthulhu, the thing is, you do have an area, you have weaknesses. 
Oh, God. Like, all the characters in Call of Cthulhu are flawed by necessity because you just can't put enough points around to be good at everything. You're always going to suck at something, so you're always a bit of a flawed hero. Yeah. And you're kind of suck even at the things you're good at in some ways. Sometimes. <laughs> you're sometimes. very human in that way, right? <laughs> the most uh, human. And then Woodstock Wanderers, you know, I feel like we got that game back on track in a lot of ways. The last, the, the Black Dragon encounter maybe wasn't uh, as exciting as it could have been, but we, I really enjoyed some of the stuff you guys have done with um, having discussions, for instance, with the vampires and uncovering that plot. And then uh, Count Ruffelgay coming in and kind of making the deal and you guys having to decide how are you going to either join the vampires or or, or stop God and Arthur from waking up. And I think that's gotten interesting. The only thing with that game, and I, we have here on Heroes Quarter some of your disappointments, it's gotten very slow. And I, we need to figure out a way to make it move a little faster, I think, because we lose some of the impetus from some of the good plot points when we spend the next three or four sessions just investigating the Dragon's Lair after we killed it two sessions, yeah, three sessions ago. Right, right, right. But I will say one of the th- one of the things that I think really helped with the Woodstock group was when you f- took us, you said, you know what, screw it, and you took us straight out of the forest. You know, the forest was an excellent beginning for it, but then we kind of just started to to creep in that area and didn't really have a lot of goals set. And then when you opened up the world again, when we were at a, at a more appropriate level and, and had a better sense for some of the newer players of some of the mechanics of the game and those types of things, and you opened that world up, it started to give options to that point. Well, where I think some yeah. of the players are still learning how that works, like, I really do have options here because in some ways I didn't necessarily feel like I did in the woods because it was just the woods. I mean, I'm just going to go wherever and things are going to happen. But you know what I mean? Like, so I made I, it more open world. Learn, yeah. yeah. They're starting to learn that, Oh, I really can. I can do this. I can build this castle. I could go and fight the Malbion. I could, you know, go back to wherever the hell Erasmus is from, you know? Now, the funny thing is, had we stayed in the woods, I was planning for you guys to go to basically the Malbion essentially next. You know, we had the big showdown with Brother Maynard. That was when everyone's like, I want to get out of here. But like my my original plan was, OK, you're going to go from here to, you know, where the Malbion is. You had figured out where his, where his stronghold was, where it was going down. You were going to climb the mountain and go take him on at that level. Yeah. We would see how that went. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, would have been. You, you never know. know. You never know. You never know. I mean, I don't think you guys would. I mean, it would have been like everything else. You know, it would have been a little bit level appropriate. Whereas now you'll meet him at a more at a different level appropriateness. To, <laughs> for a level you have now. We're gonna get a CR twenty Strad now. <laughs> well, I mean, you already had a CR twenty. I don't know what he's gonna be now. He's gonna be pretty damn tough for how many people were in that group. It's yeah, dude. The power creep gets kind of crazy. Action. Archmages. They don't have a lot of hit points. You better make them beat. You better do something to make to make sure they're not too glad. You got to do something to protect your glass cannon there. So that would have been like that's the funny thing is that would have gone differently. I think we probably would have dealt with the Malbion plot before now, except for opening the world, which is great. But then also it still bogs a little. You know, sure. and I think, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about was our biggest kind of disappointments. Maybe that's the wrong word, but kind of things that didn't go the way that we planned. I am definitely finding there is a tension in the way I DM. I want the players to figure out what they want to do. I don't come in with a train. I don't come in and make it a train. I don't come in and say, OK, here's the problem and I know your solution. I want the players to figure out what they want to do and how they want to do it. And that is how I want to play. I think it's the most fun way to play. By far for me, that's the most fun way to play. Right. But there are definitely times when that is leading to games where like we don't get enough done. And right. there's a tension there because I can speed it up if I'm willing to take more player agency away. Right. But I can't I gotcha. leave that amount of player agency 
and also say, okay, guys, I'll hurry it up. Because they're gotcha. making hard decisions. Same reason that we were three, three, two or three sessions in the Amber Temple, right? Yeah. And it's what it is, but that is somewhat of the of the back and forth that you get, as opposed to Tony, the way in which you will usually do it, where all of a sudden we're now transported out of the Amber Temple and we arrive at the Castle Ravenloft <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, you see, in the Amber Temple, I actually had a way you could have sped that along. Like I probably at one point would have produced just a list of here's who they are and what you get, because as much as it's cool to have the players talk to everyone, that's why we spent a whole session there. Sure, sure. But it's the same thing, right? It's a trade-off. You want to tell the story. You want to have them engage with the characters to get their gifts. You don't want to have them just get a list. So it's the same problem. It's the same trade-off, right? You want a different kind of game, even though that would have been more expedient. Yeah, absolutely. Two things with that. Uh, I've been in some campaigns, especially early in my career, where the DM threw out a very sparse, not very detailed world. It's like, hey, there are some things we look in the distance. And we were really into our characters, wanted to play those characters, and we're like, fuck it. This is going to be awesome, because we're making this awesome. And if you have the right actors in your group, mm. that dynamic, then it's going to happen. I'd rather watch uh, a bunch of really awesome actors in a show with a mild plot than vice versa, because... There can be this great plot that no one is going to get to because characters suck. Now, with player agency, one of the reasons why I love my train is because when I am the conductor, and really somebody needs to get me a uh, conductor wizard's hat, but in a limited time, I get one game with this particular campaign a month. So I think player agency is fantastic. I don't want to limit that. I want everyone to sit, not feel like, oh, Jesus Christ, he's going to make me. Uh, I guess we're going up to the castle now because I'm pushing him with a giant broom. But, you know, I also feel that we we need it. Even there's times where I was throwing the train. If I wasn't very specific on why you were on the train, it, it would dissolve. So even things with that needed to be in place for it's, uh, the train ride to be smooth. <laughs> it's a little it's the, the problem I run into, though, is a little different because you know how you want things to work out. And you want to know how you want things to work out. Like, you know, here's the steps they're going to have to take to solve this problem. Here's the st- Here are the places they need to go to solve this campaign. I don't want to know those things. I want to throw out the problem. And I like when I can leave the room and let the players talk about what they're going to do. Because I feel like most of the time players are pretty invested in that. And they come up with a cool solution. But it is slowing the game down. And that balance is killing me. Because I don't want to run a game where I need to tell the players how to solve the problem. I don't want well, to run that game. Like, that's not my style of DMing. I want to run the game where the players surprise me with their solutions. You know what my biggest change in 2021 is? This is going to shock you, everybody. I'm going to say it. I want to move away from the, or at least I want to say the epic battles we have have to be more meaningful opposed to as combat focused as some of my games have been in the past. I kind of get you because it feels like in 5e especially, it's very easy to have a relatively not so meaningful combat turn into a three hour combat because it's tough and you want it to be tough, but like you're losing a lot of time and it's a lot of time on something that isn't plot important. Yeah. You're burning time on that instead. Yeah. I see that. I can, I can understand that too. Definitely. I mean, traditionally like our influences from video games to SDMs, for example, final fantasy. Those are the Final Fantasy one for those of us who are like 108 years old. So your party's <laughs> running around. There's four of you, generic characters, and and that and you hit the counter. You run up, monsters run up, you slam into each other. The monsters die. Woohoo! You get some golden XP. Move on. And that was really, especially in our like, and I dare I say, in the Stone Age of our gaming, that was the foundation. 
And then if you look at like system, like even like at the 4E though, that still encouraged that. You're supposed to have X amount of encounters, which almost yes. all of them were solved by violence, to get to the next level. <laughs> yeah. And that's not as interesting from a storytelling perspective. It's not as efficient from a time management perspective. Well, Tony, that's why you said so much that you you have made the point that the milestone idea has, you know, broken the chains off of you in terms of your DMing because now it gives you a little bit more specific parameters as to allowing your players, like we did in Storm Kings, for instance, we talked about many times, decide an encounter whether it's going to be violent or not and still have the story move forward, have, have it still be narratively um, satisfying and also have the players be able to level and get their new shiny toys and all of that stuff as well. Yeah, and it, but it goes beyond even the leveling. Pro- I mean, the leveling is one issue, right? Uh, because you do want to, you, you want, and Milestone does help with that. You can level more quickly. You can you can basically take that you have to fight 10 battles before you level out of it. But just the, I begin to understand why people like Professor, Professor Dungeon Master yeah. are all about make combat faster, lower hit points, make it more yeah. deadly. Yeah. Because you do wind up in some combats where it's like, you know, it's hard just for me to say, is this just a function of the game or is it a function of the way I'm introducing the combats? But you wind up with combats that just take way too long. Yeah, you know, especially if like right now, lately we've been limited to four hour or even sometimes three hour game sessions. Which is something I mean, my DMing style works much better with a six with like more of like a six hour game session. Like the first Woodstock Wanderers game we played till two AM. You know, it's like that kind of thing. That's more like what um because that gives you more time for deep thought, right? You don't need to rush through the game. You have the time to let the players make a plan and figure it out for themselves. You don't need to spoon feed them everything. And the shorter your session is, the find the more you need to spoon feed things, especially in D and D. Less so in Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu works a little better, but it's a much faster system. It's a much more theater of the mind, speedy system than than D and D is. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, kind of trying to balance it out. Maybe I do need to make sure fights are faster. And we have talked about more theater of the mind, and maybe I've gone back on that a little bit. Maybe I need to get back to more theater of the mind combats just to get them going faster than we are with the uh, more battle map kind of combats. Yeah, that comes back to the horror of the map. We love them. They look awesome. We like tokens. We like figs. I own 45,000 figs, and I don't need them to grow on trees. But, you, you know, you start rolling those out, and then yeah. it, it takes a completely different vibe and mechanical aspect of the game. I mean, in, in my Christmas game, I did visuals, but we didn't do a battle map. And I just want you to think yeah. about like, what would that look like if I had you guys, like, we were doing the part where you were sledding and then moving your sleds down the hill, what would that have looked like? Yeah. That would have been like 30, 40 minutes yeah. sliding down a hill making checks. And I would say two of the biggest problem games I've run into have been when I dumped the party in Woodstock Wanderers in a dungeon map that was not a combat map, but was an exploration map. Oh, yeah. Because that's how the that's how the Dragon Slayer set up. But also when we had our big blow up after, before the Sir, after the Sir Morton or the Brother Maynard fight, that had just kind of been cued by spending by having another dungeon you guys have been trapped in for a long time where you we went through like six, six sessions just to get out of the dungeon and out and away from a guy waiting for you on the outside. Like when in fifth edition, I put out a dungeon for the players to explore the game grinds to a halt. 
like if I've populated it with monsters and stuff, that seems to be something that 5e, at least the way I'm playing it, isn't doesn't work quickly enough to really make a fun a fun campaign. Well, I've been, I've been drawing from some old Dungeon magazines from material for the campaign I'm running in, in Xanthia. And uh, I look at these maps and I'm like, good lord, what mad person designed this? <laughs> it's like it's like a spider was crushed and all their eight legs are going to go off into other legs. And it's, it's unbelievably complicated. This like, was like, I remember back in the day, we had like the person of the party who was taking notes and sometimes there was a map maker. And this yeah. is why. And again, if you guys, I mean, back in the day, you know, got it's our catchphrase. We'd have sessions where we sit down for a Sunday, we get together at noon, and we played at eight thirty. And sometimes we get yeah. two meals in between there. And if we we have that kind of time on our hands, great, go through that whole labyrinth. That's fantastic. But not so much anymore. It's not not as realistic. Yeah, I have found it does put the kibosh on classic dungeon crawl play though. Like that's kind of the, the, the sad thing about it for me, because you can't just in fifth edition, if I roll out a quote unquote classic dungeon crawl, we're gonna be there for like six months. <laughs> you very well, you very well could be with some of those dungeons that you see. Yeah, yeah. and we've that been, was we've the, been the dragon's lair for several, like a season. And I'm like, okay, maybe I never should ever bring in a big map again. <laughs> <laughs> the battle of the Demolich was very interesting because in that last session, we jumped right into a combat in progress, and we fought for two hours. We literally fought for two hours. Yeah, yeah. you think about it, yeah. and nobody was screwing around. Everybody was going through their stuff. There was no lags. There was no arguing. Like, we were all going through our turns. And that's just how long it took. Yeah. Yeah, I got to figure out a way around that. Because especially because I want more time. I want more time and more opportunity to put players in difficult situations where they figure stuff out. I'd rather spend the time there. And I want to spend less time on combats that aren't essential. Now, one big boss fight's different. You know, if you're going to spend one session fighting the big dragon or whatever, that's a different thing. The Malbion fight, that'll probably be one big session. You know, that'll probably take all night. That's that's, But that's worth taking all night. It's a little different when it's just, hey, here's this guy in the center of the dragon's tomb that, by the way, you didn't know he was friends with the Demulich. You know, that's a, that's kind of it. You are getting an artifact out of it, but it took us two sessions for that one combat. Yeah, it was... Um... I will say, too, we cannot put too fine a point on this either. A lot of the things that we run into are you will not find if you're running like a four person game like so if your tables have a four or even five maybe person game a lot of this stuff is not going to be in the same vein like a dungeon crawl like we were doing through the dragons there it wasn't a massive dungeon overall the caverns that you had but when you have eight different people having to decide what they want to do and then when they get to a point, eight different people are giving ideas as to what could we do, what resources do we want to use, right? And then when you hit a combat and you're doing what is appropriate, where you're breaking out some of the monster groups, so it's not all the Demi-Lich and the Flame Skulls and the Golem all go on initiative 19, right, so that you just get blasted away. It creates something. At that point, you have like 16 fucking initiative counts you know it takes time right like we were like 45 minutes in and it was one round i think some of that is just the the nature of having that many people at the table i'll actually add to that and say it you have all those characters you have seven eight players in your game and then they've got 
their minions or their summons or a hench person and they've the animated something yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then bulbasaur's going and i'm like <laughs> i'm looking at my hourglass watch i'm like okay i'm holding this lightning bolt i'm gonna let this go in like 11 minutes you're yeah. in trouble i felt that at the in the very final final battle uh with strahd uh in the last session because i had little one who had two hellhounds plus her homunculus I had Scar, I had uh, Phineas. That, thankfully, Patty was gone by this point, so I didn't have to bother with that, right? I had Hawk. Damn I you had, for taking him out. <laughs> I had Sir Godfrey. Chris was playing him. I, You know, so you had all of these plus, like I said, familiars or just randos that you picked up along the way. And it makes for a satisfying narrative, but yeah, it's going to be clunky. It's just the nature of the system in that way. So is that one of our learnings? At the end of the day, 5e, while better than 4e, is just a big clunky combat system? No, well, it can be. It can be. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. At higher levels, I think it gets a little bit heavier, but you have how experienced are your players? Mm. You know, how well do they know characters? How how prepared are they so you can run through combat, boom, 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 right? So I came into this whole shindig a year and a half ago when we started podcasting and talked about how I liked the cinematic boss fight. You know, the one grandmaster villain comes out. <laughs> all of him or her. It's all of you guys. Let's do this. And, you know, sometimes that becomes a problem because in a six and one situation, seven and one, they're just spamming all their great stuff on this target. And it's difficult to make a target that can sustain that. But on the flip side, you start adding all these other actors on the field. And then, yeah, your initiative tracker is like a foot and a half long. And they're complicated. And then you find yourself, especially the DM, are, like, are you playing all these monsters to their full potential? Like in the Xanthian camp that I'm playing, I'm running um, usually two or three NPCs plus all the monsters. And, you know, a lot's happening there. <laughs> Xanthia? To be that, a fly on the wall of yep, this that, game. That, that, I that, would is, just, that is my tour tour to Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Xanthia. This has <laughs> to be just like, oh my god, to watch Tony have to play four different NPCs at the same time, all discussing what the plan's gonna be with the <laughs> so I would love to see it. Maybe As, one day. I think can. our listeners also would like to film your next session. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, this guy's voice is killing me. <laughs> the long-awaited YouTube crossover. That was So that's something for me that's kind of like been, even after a year, is kind of bugging me. And I'm trying to figure out a solution for This kind of balancing the way I want the game to run and the way I want to interact with the players with the time that the game is taking. What about you guys? Anything kind of, you know, that you're, I said disappointed, but anything that's just not working the way you wish it was or that you'd like to kind of try to fix moving forward? Well, I'm also done in the Marvel game. And unfortunately, my solution to a lot of problems with all these super powerful characters I'm facing is just beating them over the head with magic because the system doesn't really calibrate for any type of resistance to magic, which I feel is a little silly. Uh, that should not be the answer to ever, ever like, oh, well, you're, you're an alien 
and you're an elemental, and you're a genie. Well, you're all vulnerable to magic, except for Dave. He, he is not. I could kill him with a gun. I mean, it, it's really <laughs> a, uh, it's a trade-off there. But, yeah, there is a very delicate balance when you are doing that meaningful combat between what are you going to roll out versus what they're coming in so the combat turn snaps. You, you want the tornado to come back. You got to keep passing the stick around. I mean, you, the last thing you want is players waiting twenty minutes for a turn. That sucks. That that really that you're you're choking your engagement there. And it may be no fault to your own, but I mean, even if you're rolling into it like twenty minutes, like yeah, juice. Yeah, but that's not even that. I mean, if you think about it numerically, that means if you have ten initiatives, and each initiative takes two minutes, that's twenty minutes right there. Two minutes is not a ridiculous amount of time to take time. a turn. No, but again, I go back to one, uh, size, uh, but two, it's a matter of what is the experience level at the table, right? So when people have things prepared, and I've definitely seen, uh, speaking of Woodstock specifically, I've seen a shift with a lot of things where a lot of players have, okay, this is what I'm going to do. When they're, what are you going to do? I'm casting this, I'm hitting with my rapier, whatever it might be. It's much more they're ready in the same way that the Strahd group does. All of you generally have this is what I want to do. You know, you've already kind of calibrated what your plan is and then you fire it off unless something dramatically has changed on the board. That definitely speeds up combat, too. Anything else that's kind of bothering you or that you, you that is you know, like not working the way you want it to in your games? No, because I, I think there's been a shift in the problem solving and how things were. So I'm not, I'm looking to do less combats, believe it or not, and you give that more of an option to focus on solving problems in different ways, with stealth or diplomacy or uh, not being there in the first place and letting the players kind of deal with it like that. So um, I am super happy, like you, Dave, said, the chains are broken, where it's not like, okay, well, guys, I'm terribly sorry. You gotta have 10 combats to get to the next level. So here's three, one, two, three. Enjoy that. <laughs> see you next month. Yeah. I, uh, no, I mean, I've, uh, uh, any of the issues that I might have been coming into uh, at certain sessions over the year uh, was able to generally work them out and, and adjust for them, I feel like I did. So, uh, so yeah, nothing that I'm, I'm struggling with currently, other than realizing how easy it was to have a real controlled environment like Barovia that was quote open and sandboxy, but really fucking not right. Like I already knew where everything was uh, to the point where now I'm like, let me throw out a gajillion ideas in my head. And then I literally, I, I'm uh, paralysis by analysis, you know, where I'm just like, <laughs> uh, okay, I guess I'll just have to wait to see where they uh, step, and then I'll decide for that session. It's <laughs> the itself. What, what are you talking about? So you let us establish ourselves in Barovia. We come back like, oh, I'm the chief of Kavar's tribe. You know, they do guys do this. Idiot does that. Blah, blah, blah. So we're, things are looking good. And the new big bad throws us out. We have to go find our go into this new environment. Nope. Then we have to fit our way back in. No. Nope. Go ahead of that. No, there's there's already there's been a plan for quite a while. 
And this thing is, I've been playing a long fucking game with you this. You know, this is the long game. I can't wait to see it. This is the long <laughs> game. And uh, yeah, so there's some serious long game stuff that I think is going to be super fun. And I'm excited for it. But at the same point, I'm now returning back to, okay, I have to like, I have to craft things a little bit more now where when using a published one, I crafted some stuff, but it was easier because the stuff was already there to play with, right? It's easier to paint something than it is to build it, right? So what did you learn in 2021? What are your big takeaways? For me as a DM and my growth is limiting the complexity of some of my plots. It's homebrewed. You know, I have the like, okay, guys, this is great. It's just if you just follow these 11 different things one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, it makes perfect sense. Crickets. <laughs> Don't even hear me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. All right, one person got it, and the other person forgot it. And now a month's gonna pass between games. And they're like, are we on seven? Or are we on three? No. I plot after Storm King's Thunder are not simplistic, but I, when I write my own homebrewed story, I, I make sure that I use more direct points. Instead of going from like one to 11, it's more like one to four. And I am also very careful on what NPCs I introduce. Like in my Christmas game, like for example, I, in, in the test run of that, you're going to meet Far Farmer Gray in that house you're at. Nope, no point introducing someone for three minutes. Cut. He's in town. Let's move on. <laughs> That's a good learning. Keep it simpler. But you, Dave? I, uh, to tell you the truth, I have been learning as we have been discussing uh, every week on the podcast here and talking about our different styles and learning things from each of your styles and also playing in each of your games and taking some of the parts that I really like that I don't do as well and adapting it to my style of play. So I feel as though I've gotten much better at uh, the back and forth with the players, really giving them as much agency as they want, but still being able to move that plot forward if need be, to push them forward if need be. Uh, obviously, there are points where that gets a little clunky still, as we discussed with the Amber Temple job interview. But I still think that that was kind of super fun, generally speaking. You know, um, it's just you can't please all the people all the time. Right. Um, yeah, but that's probably my biggest one is to tell you the truth, learning the way you guys run your games and taking a level of that improvness, but a level of that really, really structured storiness. And morphing it into what uh, what I do in my way. So, yeah. And just from the running that campaign this year has been, has, that, that teaches you so much, so much. And I'm still assimilating a lot of that, I think. <laughs> well, I think you'll find in some respects it's easier for you to run your own material because who's to, like, oh, if I got you another supplement, like I said, here, Dave, here's a, tw a level 12 to 20th level module. There it is. What do you got to read there? That's yeah. an enormous amount of material. I mean, really, uh, Wizards does a fantastic job. It's extraordinarily comprehensive. You have maps and towns and dozens of NPCs and all new magic and all new items. And some of it's not good. You just want to push that aside. At least not for you. 
That's what I did. This stuff was kind of good, but it did my game, and I pushed that aside. Then I'm rating my injection of my own stuff with the players with Lake, and I'm sliding in their own backstories, and then you've got, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, no, and I remember with Thorne had said uh, that he felt like the Slaver's Bay campaign, like that world felt way more real to him than like Barovia did in some ways. And I can I can appreciate that because it just felt a little more like you were you were in it and you were affecting it and you were a part of it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more alive because you're creating it on the fly. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Something that is in a book is never going to be quite as alive as something that you're creating as you go. Yeah. You know, even if you're creating it ahead of time and kind of filling in blanks, but the adjustment, the way it breathes with your characters, you can't really achieve that in a book module. Plus, in a book module, a lot of what you're doing, a lot of what I find I'm doing is just trying to memorize what's in the book. And that's never <laughs> that's the best saying. way to do a thing. You know, it's always better to have a living understanding of a thing than a memory of a thing. Sure. So I think that's, for me, I mean, obviously, I don't usually do book modules, although I've been working out fine in Call of Cthulhu. But that's why, you know, I want the more living, breathing world that moves with the characters than a world that's just, OK, let me open the dead, you know, the dead trees and see what they say. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a good point. So, I mean, and I think uh, for me, one of the big things I've learned is just try to kind of speed the sessions up and try to try to minimize the combat, which I think was also my takeaway last year. So maybe after a year, <laughs> I still learned a damn lesson. This, <laughs> like, this perfect New Year's resolutions. We all make them and then we just like, yeah, fuck that. No, 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 no. You guys said there was nothing you were disappointed about in your games. I'm the only one who had something I was disappointed about. I'm like, <laughs> ah, a little vulnerability here. You see how that's... No, uh, no. Okay. I mean, I, I had moments where, I mean, I, the, the party was confused on my main plot. We talked about this in yeah, several sure, sessions. Yeah, yeah, and, that, yeah. and that falls back to the simplification of what's going on. Because you have to take into consideration player game frequency and lore yeah. tolerance. Some people, I'm like, ah, oh, let me craft you a story. And then one player is hanging on the edge of their seat. And one player is like, well, this guy shut the hell up. And can I shop now? So you, it's that death balance. <laughs> I shoot him. Why? Because I want the story to end. We'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> you think it's your story, old man? Boom, this is my story. I started by shooting the narrator. Yeah. Get real into the woods here. If you haven't seen Into the Woods, that happens. They, they do sacrifice the narrator in Into the Woods. All right. So uh, those are our big takeaways. Let's just get to some final thoughts. And while we're getting into the final thoughts, let's talk about what you're looking forward to doing in 2022, our well, next year of gaming. Well, we're going to be kicking off Tomb of Annihilation, which is much more terrifying than Tomb of Horrors. So I can't wait to take this character I'm excited to play, who's Human Monk. Well, probably I'm going to make a projection, uh, projection here. My prediction, reaching into my hat, I'll be dead by the third game. I want to say that right now. <laughs> I, my monk, Ryakin, dead by game three. That is my psychic. Uh, that's where I, I can see that going. But I'm still excited to play <laughs> it. We asked for something hard. Uh, we're not messing around. A, you know, a measure of a person is how they handle the feet, right? Sometimes, unless you're playing once a month and you're like, God damn it, I've been defeated. And now I've made a month to try to get, you know, get back on track. And it sucks. It's have you already sort of, made a second character for when this one dies? I don't want to make another barbarian. It's just so lame. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm going to play a level 20 barbarian. I've, I've made the executive decision. I'm not multi-classing Hawk. He's in it for the long haul. Yes. All the way to level 20. So um, I, I think making another barbarian is pretty, I mean, I, I could make a rogue. And then who the F is going to tank in this party? I'm getting way off topic. Um, 
very... We don't really have a tank. That is true. The, the, nope. The Tomb of Annihilation right now is tankless. We are, no, we're, we're bucking the trend. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're like a gas water heater. We're tankless. We're reinventing <laughs> the wheel. We're going to die. All right. So anyway, I understand it for that campaign. I also think we're going to die in Call of Cthulhu. I feel like there, there's some real horror on the horizon there. But... um. Well, I mean, don't, 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 you know, don't, don't forget you could go insane first. Yeah. I mean, it's Two ways out guaranteed. Of you're either going to go insane or die or both. Fair. But I got to say, I like that we play other games besides D&D because that kind of keeps us grounded. That gives us the different perspectives. I think that's very important. I would love to see if we're going to do a one shot and talk about some of those old school games just to play like something uh, from the open source material or God forbid, Dave Rick, that's in Pathfinder. I think that would be fun. <laughs> I'd play some Pathfinder. I'd play some Osric. I'd play some Rifts we talked about. You're, uh, okay. I'm just telling you, the character creation process is going to be like two solid hours per character. And I'm going to be like, all right, now that you've collectively spent eight hours making your four characters, let me run a four-hour adventure for you. <laughs> but you can be a dragon. It's kind of the same. It's kind of the same problem with uh, if trying to run a one shot in Pathfinder too, because character creation is is pretty in depth. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's near what Rifts is, but it's still still pretty hefty. Still pretty hefty. Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. The joke is, if you're a barbarian, once combat starts, uh, that's great. But when it ends, name something you're good at. So, um, not in Rifts. Rifts like, well, I'm a doctor and an electrician and a plumber. And a seamstress, and I, uh, I'm actually a psychic, and yeah, your skill list is as long as like from here to Florida. But all right, we, <laughs> we can make that happen if if you uh if you if you really are that brave and want to play a one shot and riffs, guys. <laughs> Post apocalyptic dragons, here we come. I'm in. Yeah. So into 2022. I'm obviously excited about continuing with the Heroes of the Mist or Strahd's Bane or whatever the hell they're going to be called uh, to see where that goes. I'm excited to see if we do continue on to it. Do we do our first all the way from one to 20 campaign in 5e of the of the three of us? That'll be fun. Like I said, I'm excited about uh, the possibility of shared universes with some of these things. We'll see if that starts to play out. It's We'll see. I have ideas. Um, I'm excited actually for Chris, uh, so the one who plays Sir Scar. I'm excited to see how much he learns running Tomb Annihilation, especially with this group uh, that we have, in the same way the amount that I was learning running Strahd. Uh, so that's that's kind of fun, because I'm kind of excited for him as he kind of takes on more and more of the mantle of running games like that. And then to back up what Tony said, I'm... I really would like to play some more one shots here and there of different systems. I'd like to do some of the OSR stuff, things like that. Things that are simple that we could just get together and just do an old school adventure and just bang out some characters and, and that palette cleanser, you know, uh, to, to give us a little bit of a break and a little bit of perspective on our long running campaigns. So and your football season's wrapping up. Sundays are going to be open again soon. That's true. Yeah. Well, my football season is over. My fantasy team is garbage. So yeah, I just missed the playoffs with mine as well. I can't they believe started I so they started so fucking well. And then they just cratered. I had, my, I had my an fantasy ESPN teams team. In seven games. What's that? <laughs> I, I have fantasy teams in seven games. Are you serious? In seven campaigns. That's where my fantasy teams are. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you, have, you have proper role-playing fantasy teams. I have never lost. I lost so many games based on starting Dak Prescott and Travis Kelsey over Dallas Goddard and um, Kirk Cousins. Oh, yeah. I lost so many games by expecting Dak Prescott and Travis Kelsey to outscore Kirk Cousins and Dallas Goddard. And I got to tell you, I feel like bad beats. This season, man, is crazy. I say it every season, but this season is crazy. But, yeah, Sundays might be open a little bit more, so we'll see. Well, maybe it's some more board game and more one-shotting. Yeah. All right. So, for me, you know, my final thoughts on 2021 is great year of gaming and great year of podcasting. You know, guys, I've had a great time getting together with you every week and talking about this. We've put another, I think, 50 episodes on the board this year. So this is going to be episode, I believe, 77 we're working on right now, or, or 78. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been one hell of a run, guys. So thank you very much for uh, for being a part of this and for for coming on board this this train, because this is definitely much more of a train than I think I run in a D and D game. Uh, it's still pretty damn improv here, but yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, for this recording, Dave said, you know, yes, let's yeah, let's know what we're talking about, and I said, why start now? For next year, I am really looking forward to the Tomb of Annihilation because I am dying to play a new character. Pixie sure should be fun. It's an it's an artificer. I haven't. I feel like it's been forever since I played a new character, so this is going to be. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to also getting you guys getting the Woodstock Wanderers in their confrontation with the Malbion. What? Oh my that, God! No, that is going to happen, happen this year. Hopefully sooner <laughs> than later. I'll be old and gray in my wheelchair. <laughs> I'm not, like, I'm not putting on. you guys on train tracks, but I am strapping on the rocket booster. So we'll see where we go. Unguided rocket boosters coming to that campaign. Before sometime I go soon. to the retirement home, we're going to have a battle. <laughs> so those are the two big things I'm looking forward to in 2021 gaming wise. And also the chance to try new games. I'd, say I'd love to try some Osric, you know, some old school Renaissance stuff that lets us play like the old basic D and D style thing. I haven't done it in many, many, many years. And I think yeah. just like all Cthulhu's taught us a lot and just like Marvel's taught us a lot, I think going back to D&D's roots would also teach us a lot, maybe especially about how to run a faster game, because clearly I need help with this right now. <laughs> That's it for me, guys. So once again, thank you guys for coming along on the Three Wives DMs adventure. I really appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun, and I think we're all much better DMs for this for this last year of podcasting than we would be otherwise. Oh, drastically so. Yeah, yeah drastically so. And thank you all for listening along to us. Hopefully you've been here with us for the whole year and more. If not, we hope you go back and check out the back catalog. If you like what you're hearing, please smash that five-star rating button. Leave us a good review. Tell your friends about Three Wise DMs. All that stuff has a big influence on helping us grow, and we appreciate any help you can give us. If you want to hear us talk about your problems, go ahead and send those in to threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com. You can leave them in the what's your problem field. That's where we get the really the, the core questions for a lot of our episodes. And if you have things you'd like to hear us talk about, we would love to give you advice on those topics. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Three Wise DMs.